0: Thanks, Graham. Good morning, everyone. My name is Josh. One of the pastors here. Great to see you. I don't know if we've got a chance to hand out bibles. If anyone wants a Bible, just you stick your hand up. We'll get you one of those. It'd be great to have one. I see one hand. So a couple of welcomers. Thanks, Sandy. Thanks, Patricia. Great to have that open. Nathan, your outline's going down here. Thank you. Great to have a Bible. Thanks, Patricia. For me, uh, one of the best days of my working life was when I got this. uh, Next picture, there we go. Uh, I got given 500 business cards from work and I thought when I got them, now I have finally made it. Now I've got something that really captures who I am. Josh Phillips, senior trainer. Wow. I got 500 business cards. Did you know how many I gave away as a result of business? Zero. Zero. But I didn't know that at the time. I thought it was fantastic. I had a card that showed everyone who I am. And I was proud of who I am, who I was. I thought being a personal trainer was pretty cool. And not just any personal trainer, senior trainer, whatever that means at the age of 22. I thought, I thought this is who I am. This is my identity and I've got a card to prove it. Uh, and, And it meant that I did and didn't do certain things. When I went to the shops in my personal training shirt, I didn't order KFC. I got healthy food because I'm a personal trainer. That's who I am. When I got out of the uniform, it was a very different story, but in the uniform, that was who I am and I had a lot of pride. Identity matters to us a lot, doesn't it? Who are we? What defines me as a person? It's something that can anchor us, bring us security, give us purpose, but it's also something that can affect us at the deepest level when we're struggling with it. Who are you? What is it that defines you? Is it your work that defines you, what you do for most of your week? Uh, after church, if you meet someone new, I dare you to have a crack at not asking them what they do for work for a few minutes. It's kind of hard to do because I think that we kind of assume that Who you are is what you do, it's kind of tied up. And so if I want to know who you are, I need to know what you do. Is our identity tied up in our status in society? Uh, Do I think of people in terms of what car they drive, what house they live, where they live? Are they wealthy and respected? Or are they struggling to get by? And so I don't really think as much of them. Or are they kind of somewhere in between and that means they're kind of like me and so I know how to relate because they're on my level. Is my identity tied up with my sexuality? I am heterosexual, I am homosexual, I am bisexual, I am transgendered. I need to know that about you and you need to know that about me because that's the most central part of who I am. Is my identity based on my lifestyle? I'm a surfer, I'm a gamer, I'm popular, I'm cool, I'm a nerd, I'm a mum, I'm a dad, is that who I am? Is my identity connected to who I am on social media, how I dress, my style and my look, or how many people follow me? Who are you? If I asked you to tell me about who you are, are they the kind of things that you would tell me about? In the passage we're looking at this morning, God gives us the answer to the question, who am I and what am I for? Seven times in this passage, Peter says, you are, he's going to tell us who you are. And according to God, the heart of who you are is something far deeper than your work, than your status, than your lifestyle. And what you are for is something far greater as well. So let's get stuck in. Point one, have your Bibles open and look at verse five. 1 Peter chapter two, verse five. You yourselves, like living stones, are... You are being built up as a spiritual house. Who are you? God says that at the core of who you are, you are a brick, a living brick, who together with a bunch of other bricks make up a spiritual house, a temple. And when someone says, tell me about yourself, who are you? I bet you've never said, I am a brick, right? But you have never said that. What has that got to do with who we are? Well, to understand it, we've got to go to the Old Testament. Now, as a quick side point, this passage has so many Old Testament references, you basically can't go more than two words without having to go back in the Old Testament, which I think is really significant. Because sometimes, I reckon we can think that, well, the New Testament, that's the important bit, that's the bit I need to read. The Old Testament, that's kind of the extra brownie points for the nerds, and I'll leave them there, they're kind of losers, I'll let them do that. But here in the New Testament, Peter seems to think that we can only truly understand who we are If we know something about the Old Testament, it's fascinating and it's a great encouragement for us to get stuck into all of God's Word. So, let's see what it says. In the Old Testament, God got his people to build a temple for him and it was built so that God could live among his people with the nation Israel. Now, of course, God is kind of so big, he made the universe, you can't fit him in a temple, but he placed his presence in the temple. He said, this is going to be the place of my special presence. So I can live among my people. but The thing is that for our holy God to live with humans without kind of breaking out and destroying them because of their sin, God has to set it up in a way where he can live with them, but also be a bit separate from them. So he set up a temple so he can be among his people. And he also set up the priesthood. Now, the priests were the go-betweens, the representatives who are kind of between the God and people. The nerd word for it is mediators. You can drop that with someone over morning tea. There needed to be some kind of separation between God and the people, and so there were physical barriers in the temple, and there were these mediators, the priests, the go-between people, who represented God to the people and the people to God, the priests. One of the primary ways that the priests mediated was that they brought acceptable sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. There were all kinds of sacrifices. Sacrifices for sin, sacrifices for thanksgiving, sacrifices of peace. And these sacrifices brought God great delight as his people related to him in the way that he'd set up for them to relate to him. This is all the background to what Peter's saying in, chapter one, uh, in 1 Peter 2. The temple was the special place of God's presence on earth and the priests were his special representatives who brought sacrifices to please and delight God. But now, Peter says, the spiritual place where God lives on earth is no longer to do with a particular building. Now, you together, God's people, his church, is the place where God dwells by his spirit. You are living stones that make up the walls of this spiritual house, the new temple. It's incredible. Not only that, Peter kind of shifts the metaphor to say, you're not only the temple, you're not only the bricks, you're also the priesthood who are to conduct the priestly duties, which are representing God and offering sacrifices. But the thing is that now in the New Covenant, those things are intensified, they're kind of exploded. The priests are no longer just kind of going between God and the rest of his people. Our priesthood is to represent God to the whole world. It's elevated. It's elevated. And the sacrifices we offer aren't grabbing some kind of cows and lambs and killing them. Spiritual sacrifices now to please Him. What's that? What are the spiritual sacrifices? It is your whole life of loving others, doing good deeds, seeking to please God, giving your whole life in sacrifice to God. The Apostle Paul, he puts it this way, Romans chapter 12 verse 1, I've got it on the screen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your body, your whole self, as a living sacrifice, as a spiritual sacrifice. See, who am I? I am a brick in God's spiritual house, a priest in his temple to represent God to the world and delight him with my life. Wow. What an unbelievable thing to say about us. It's hard for us to picture, but do you get the significance? That for all of human history, people have longed to be near the living God, have longed to be special to God, have longed to be able to please him in some way. And Peter says, that is who you are. At the core of your identity, you are someone who makes up the temple where God dwells and you have special access to God and you're able to please Him. What a privilege. What an honour. What does it mean for us? There are three quick things. First, there is no physical place you can go to be closer to God. God isn't more present in holy sites or church buildings God is present with His people, the church, who are the bricks of His spiritual house. Second, there is no person who is closer to God than you. We believe in something called the priesthood of all believers because of this verse. That is, we all have direct access to God. We all represent God to the world around us equally. Rod and I don't have a special connection to God in a way that you don't. We are all bricks in the same building. We're all priests of the same living God. Beware of going to a church where there's a person who functions like a priest. Where they mediate between you and God. Where it's kind of like they have the inside line to God and they can get you things. No, no. We are all priests. God dwells in us. Among us. The third thing, offer your life as a spiritual sacrifice to God. God has made you a priest in order that you would offer your life as a spiritual sacrifice to please him. God desires your whole life. Have you given it to him? Is that how you view your life? My life is a spiritual sacrifice given completely over to God, however he would have me live it. It's not my own. That is who you've been made to be. A brick in God's house, a priest in God's temple incredible identity, a rich identity. We're going to see that there's even more, far more to our identity than just this. But the question is, is this everyone's identity? Can you say this about you? Can I say this about me? Point two, who you are is founded on your response to the cornerstone. Have a look at verse six. Peter says that there's two kinds of people, each with a different future. And the deciding factor about who we are comes down to how you treat a stone. Peter quotes a passage from the Old Testament where it says that God, where God says that He's building something. And the first stone in this building is a particular cornerstone. Now, just in case you are not familiar with ancient building principles, uh, the way that you build something is you whack down a cornerstone first. And this cornerstone I've got a picture of it. This cornerstone kind of sets the shape for the entire building. You take all your lines, all your levels from that stone. It's the controlling stone for the building. It it sets the foundation and shape for the rest of the building. This is the cornerstone. God says that this cornerstone is chosen and precious. Now, it's Not just kind of a loving way of talking about a precious rock, like when your kid comes home from the beach with a nice rock and they say, look at my rock. You say, oh, that's nice. Let's get that out of the house. God's not talking about really a rock. He's talking about a person. He calls the rock him. He's talking about Jesus. In what God is building for eternity, Jesus is that stone. He is chosen and precious. God chose Jesus to be this stone before the foundation of the world it's not just christians who were chosen before the foundation of the world jesus is chosen as well the difference is that we are chosen for salvation but jesus is chosen to be the instrument of salvation the cornerstone he is so precious isn't he and so how you treat this cornerstone is very important it's going to shape your entire identity of who you are and in fact we're going to see it shapes your eternal destiny How we respond to the cornerstone is very important. Peter says there's only two ways you can respond. The first way is to reject it. Have a look at verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And skip halfway uh, halfway through verse 7. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected... Has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. There are many who've rejected Jesus, who don't believe in the precious cornerstone, who who build their lives far away from this precious stone. Peter says, "If that is you, you will one day trip over this stone—the thing that you've rejected and tossed away, as though it doesn't matter." has become the cornerstone and will end up being the thing that you stumble over, which prevents you from having any part in this identity that God wants to give you. And it means you'll experience shame, judgment, and destruction forever. You can respond to the cornerstone by rejecting him, but it doesn't end well. But there is a second way. Have a look at verse 6. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a precious stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe. You can believe in the cornerstone. You can put your trust in the cornerstone, build your life on the foundation of Jesus. And if you do, the promise is that for eternity you will never be put to shame. Instead, you'll experience honour and have the privilege of giving honour and praise to the one who made all things forever. It's incredible. And it's not only something that changes your future, it completely shapes your identity now. Have a look back at verse 4. As you come to him, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, as you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house it is as you come to him the living stone that you yourself become like a living stone built on the foundation of jesus it's a little bit like lego it's not a perfect illustration you might recognize caleb he goes to our night church It was on lego masters it's a little bit like jesus is kind of like the base plate the foundation which everything's built upon And we're all like the little bricks in Caleb's hands that get built on top of one another. I don't know what Caleb is in that, but it's not perfect. You become a brick in the wall of God's house and a priest in his temple by coming to and believing in Jesus, the cornerstone. See, how you respond to the cornerstone matters very deeply. God says that how you respond to Jesus affects you at the very deepest level. You are either believer or unbeliever, acceptor or rejector, either a brick in God's spiritual building who will experience honour for eternity, or someone who stumbles on the cornerstone and experiences shame and judgment forever. How have you responded to the cornerstone? How have you responded to Jesus? There is no third option. You can't sit on the fence. If you currently haven't accepted Jesus, I'm imagining this is pretty unsettling and uncomfortable to hear. But what are you going to do as a result of hearing it? You've heard it now. Are you going to leave and saying these people at Wild Street are crazy. I'm never coming back. I'm not going to look into Jesus anymore. You know what happens after that. Or will you come back? Next week and find out more. Will you you get to know the stories of the many people in this room who were just like you and yet have given their lives to following this Jesus? It's worth finding out more. It's worth believing in Jesus. You'll have an amazing future and a profound new identity. And it's one that Peter's not yet done telling us about. There is even more. Point three. Who are we? we are God's special people to proclaim his praise. He's got six more things to tell us about who we are. If you're someone who believes in this cornerstone, have a look at verse 9. I'm a, I'm going to make explicit what Peter kind of writes implicitly, verse 9. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you are have received mercy. It's a bit like an avalanche of titles and kind of descriptions about who we are, it's a bit overwhelming. They sound very cool and important and weighty, don't they? They're also kind of random. I don't know if you've ever been called those things before. Uh what are they? They all come, again, straight out of the Old Testament. A bunch of them from Exodus 19, which is where God gathers his people at Mount Sinai, makes a covenant with them, and makes them his people. Peter gathers a bunch of those titles and now applies them to us to say that in the new covenant, we become God's people in an even greater way. Who are you? Firstly, a chosen race. God has chosen us to be his people from all cultures and backgrounds to be a new people together. The fact that we're chosen means it can never be taken away. If kind of holding on to this identity was up to you, you'd probably stuff it up. You could at least lose it. But God chose you before the foundation of the world. You can never lose it. We are a chosen race. We're also a royal priesthood. Earlier we were called the holy priesthood. Now we're a royal priesthood. We are priests set aside to serve the king. Also, we're a holy nation, a nation set apart for God and for his purposes. Remember last week, I talked about the holy bedsheets set aside for a special purpose of being my door. That is what we are like for God. We're set apart for God and his purposes. Also, we are God's own possession, owned by God, special to God. And once we were not a people and had not received mercy, but now we are the people of God have received mercy this last one is an allusion back to hosea a prophet in the old testament where the nation of israel had been so sick and uh, sinful and wicked not sick and, sinful and wicked god had said to them you are no longer my people you will no longer be under my mercy they had been his people they were his chosen people but god said because of your sin no more yet i love you so much that one day you will be again You will be my people. You will come under my mercy again. And Peter reveals here that now he was talking about us. Those who would put their trust in Jesus, who will receive his mercy and become part of his people once again. That is who you are. Isn't it magnificent? You are a living stone in God's spiritual building where he dwells. You are his holy and royal priesthood, You are his chosen race, his holy nation, his special possession, all founded on Jesus the cornerstone. That is who you are. And as you know, who you are always informs what you are for and what you do. We've seen already that we are for the purpose of conducting the priestly duties, representing God to the world and pleasing God with the spiritual sacrifice of our lives. Verse 9 here, we see another purpose. Have a look at verse 9. you are a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. Because we belong to God through his goodness and mercy to us, we are to proclaim his goodness and mercy to the universe. We're to proclaim who God is and what he's done to each other and to anyone and everyone who will listen so that all people will know how great God is And so that more and more people will believe in the cornerstone instead of tripping over it. Who am I? Who are you? I'm not first and foremost a doctor. I'm not first and foremost a surfer. I'm not first and foremost heterosexual or homosexual. I'm not first and foremost wealthy or poor. None of these. That's all peripheral stuff. That's all around the edges. No, at the core of our identity, we are God's house to display him to the world and delight him with our lives. Our identity is founded on our response to the cornerstone and we are God's special people to proclaim his praise. I've got two reflections in light of all that. First, knowing this identity is key, particularly in the face of suffering, both internal and external suffering. Are you someone who suffers internally from low self-esteem you think very lowly of yourself or maybe people around you have told you that you're worthless that you've got you've got nothing to offer god's word is clear that if you trust jesus you are god's precious possession you couldn't be any more valuable you are a brick in god's house you're chosen you're saved you matter deeply by the one uh, to the one who matters most if you look inwardly Into yourself to find your identity to to what you can do to to who you are on your own you will be crushed but if you let god define who you are you'll have a right and you'll have a right and healthy understanding of your worth you are immensely valuable chosen and precious to god it can never be taken away well that might not be you you might be suffering externally you might be suffering persecution and, and pressures from the outside Remember, that's exactly what's happening to the people in 1 Peter. They are suffering and being persecuted. It kind of just it feels so hard to keep going, you just want to give up. Peter says, What you need to hear, what they needed to hear, is your identity. Remember who you are to God. And that ultimately you will not be put to shame. Who you are to God means that in the end you will come out on top. Cling to who God has made you to be, and it will help you in, in suffering. It'd help you to stand firm in the true grace of God, which is what 1 Peter is all about. Second reflection about who we are is that our identity is corporate. It's not just about me, not just individuals, it's about us. We are together a bunch of living stones that all together make up the living temple of God. We are a royal priesthood together, a chosen nation your identity is completely bound up with the person sitting next to you, behind you, and all around you. It completely changes how you think, really about everything. It'll mean that you stop thinking about me, 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 and start thinking about us. It'll mean that you stop coming to church thinking about, well, what can I get the most out of it, or how can I? And you'll start thinking about, how can I love? How can I serve others? How can I help all of us grow up into the spiritual building God wants us to be? And I will love God's people deeply because the church is what matters to God very deeply. Our identity is corporate. It's not about me, it's about us. So, who are you? What are you for? You know that you are so much more than your status, than your sexuality, than your style, than your job. We are God's house. ...to display him to the world and delight him with our lives. Our identity is founded in our response to the cornerstone... ...and we are God's special people... ...to proclaim his praise to the universe. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much... ...for the precious cornerstone, Jesus. Thank you that he is the foundation... ...of the thing that you are building for eternity... Thank you so much that we can be part of it by believing and trusting and building our lives with him as a foundation. Thank you for all the things that you've made us to be that we are so precious to you. We are loved by you. We are part of the literal temple where you dwell. Just Please blow our minds with who we are. Please forgive us and change us from thinking that we are something that is so peripheral to who we are, we get tied up with our work and with the things that we have that we think that that is what matters about us. Yet what matters so much is that we matter to you. Help us to drink deeply from this truth, help it to be in the front of our minds and help us to shape our life by relying and knowing this truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.